Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper. And I'm Hunter Heinemann. Hey, Hunter's also a host. Better half of this deal. He's the younger half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By a lot. But Hunter, man, we're in triple digit weather temperatures right now. Been about to melt down. I understood you took a day off. <laughs> I today. did. I did uh, just do stuff a lot uh, around my house today out at the farm. 62 acres down on the Hoosaw and was uh <clears throat> past couple weeks brush hogging and getting some areas that I wanted to get ready to uh, spray the grass on them out in the field to kill the grass and brush hog that down and get ready to plant some food plots. So It's that time of year. It is, yeah. It's a I'm a little time. ahead of you, though. Yeah, I wish I would have done it about two weeks ago <laughs> and we finally got all that rain. Oh, a lot of rain. Uh, yeah. Of course, I moved to Cuba, Missouri last fall, right in the edge of the town. And we've, in the last three weeks, had about 15 inches of rain. Uh, my wife... Well, solid clover on our place for some reason. we got an acre there in town. It's pretty nice. And uh, last February, I followed the old-timers' rules, you know, throw that dino clover seed out on the last snow of the year. I don't know how you're supposed to know it's the last snow, but I get pretty close every year. Yeah, right. And, boy, did I ever get it thick in some spots. It came up great. Now, the heat, you know, we were in a long drought there, and uh, – uh, I kind of dried it up, but boy, when this rain hit, I got clover right now standing eight what inches they, tall. Uh, they call that what, like frost seeding, I think? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> That's the term they use. In fact, I, I wrote an article for DeerCast about yeah. that frost seeding. Yeah, we do that over at my dad's farm, and and it works pretty good. It just kind of holds throughout the year, and then kind of when a lot of rain comes in, then you almost have a food plot established for the, for the fall. You, you really do, and I, of course I love clover and ladino clover primarily what I, I plant, and you can go to your local feed store and get that, mm-hmm. and I, I know there's tons and tons of products out there. Uh, I know the Whitetail Institute puts out a lot of different clovers. Once in a while I'll throw in some red clover as well because that, uh, uh, that grows taller and and right. I think it's a little more drought-resistant, maybe. But uh, anyway, you can get uh, Ladino clover at uh, local feed stores and usually pretty reasonably priced. I mean, it's not cheap. And uh, that's where a lot of those country folks go and getting into the late summer here, uh, getting these rains. I usually go in about the 15th of August and will disc strips through that clover and, and plant winter wheat then. And in 34 years of doing that, I've only had to replant twice. I always do a rain dance before a plant, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I usually just, uh, I just bought my seed today, and <clears throat> I bought, uh, doing something a little different. Um, I buy Whitetail Institute seed. I always mm-hmm. buy that, so that's not different. But <clears throat> And then I have, you know, good uh, river bottom soil. Oh. So I have that. I don't You're have cheating. To, yeah, I don't have to worry about I'm the on fertilizer a <laughs> as much. Um <laughs> 
So I uh, usually always do beets and greens. Yeah. And then I'll do like a winter wheat um, type seed with it or oats or something. But uh, this year I kind of switched. Instead of doing the winter wheat, I'm going to just switch to uh, clover, kale, and uh, kale's good. Ch- uh, chicory. Oh, chicory's awesome. So it's that's in all mixed in a bag from Whitetail Institute. It's the Vision right. mix, and uh, that's what I'm going to be putting in some smaller plots. And uh, I just think it's going to hold up really good. And <clears throat> it's crazy that my farm that I'm on, um, I've noticed I'll plant like beets and greens, and some of those will stay in the ground and pop up next spring. Exactly, they're perennials. Uh, did you ever try deer radishes? Um, no, but I saw those on their website when I was going through there, and then they had another one that was turnips, but I think the beets and greens is like a mix of... Yeah, but the deer radishes, the absolute best thing I've ever planted. I started that a few years ago, and come up in the fall, and I put them pretty thick on one strip through my about one acre food plot right down the middle of it and it was interesting that it came it rained and came up really thick and lush and this stuff's got a lot of moisture in it uh and i watched it grow and i thought it got up four five six inches deer hadn't touched it and i was getting a little concerned uh went back two weeks later later and checked it and it looked like he'd run a lawnmower over all of it i mean they ate it off to the ground and it's like they stand there waiting for it to get a new leaf on it right but the the radishes on those things i mean got you know as big around as a tennis ball and probably eight or ten inches long so the deer were digging those up throughout the winter to eat mm-hmm. them too i guess a lot of sugar in them but just made great yeah the the beets and greens that i plant <clears throat> i'm planting them in about an acre and a half um maybe to two acres on my farm of just that and uh oh that's a lot of yeah a lot of food and um they (laughs) one year i had a turnip that i think it was a turnip that came up out of the ground it was the real long skinny ones kind of whitish yellow yep it was about as long as from my uh tip of my fingers to my elbow wow that came up out of the ground really and so those deer um out of my place when it's hotter and earlier in the season, they just eat the tops. Right. And you can see where they're eating on that. And then as it gets later and later into the season and they're running out of acorns, then they just smoke it. <clears throat> well, then it seems like as soon as that first frost hits the ground, then they start eating. Like mine grows so big up out of the ground that the tops of the radish or the turnip or whatever I plant is sticking above the ground, and then they start eating on that, and then they start exactly. digging them up, and uh, it's just kind of cool to watch different stages of that throughout the. Oh, it really year. is. I think what happens after frost, maybe those beets and and the radishes, turnips, all of them, I think uh, get more sugar in them, and they get a little. Uh, <clears throat> I, I guess they got a sweet tooth too. Yeah, they do. And the <laughs> the other cool thing uh, about doing the. Um, the fall food plot planning, <laughs> I always like it, is, uh, you know, you get all that seed on the ground. Well, the, the doves come in and get a free meal. You get to watch the doves, but then the doves are just kind of naturally in the area from that. And then come September 1st, they're just kind of hanging out, but your seed's already in the ground and good to go. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, kinda, ab- absolutely. Kinda cool yeah, I've killed too. a lot of a lot of doves off of my food plots in the 
in the fall like that. And that, hey, that's just, yeah, you know, I got, got such a cool little setup on, on my place. It's just uh, 10 acres, but I'm surrounded by woods everywhere, you know. And I think I'm the only person within 10 miles that plants food plots. So I get some nice deer coming on that little place. Mm-hmm. Plus, I got a little pond there. So I have actually uh, sat right on the edge of my food plot with a pond behind me, shot does out in front of me, and things quite down have deer and turkey come into the food plot and ducks landed on the <laughs> pond behind me, you know. So, hey, that's not a, not a bad life out there Pretty in the country. crazy, yep. Yeah, but yep. it's just amazing what you can do with a with a few acres. But you were mentioning you had good river bottom soil and didn't have to worry about fertilizer too much. Uh, do, do you lime ever? I haven't yet, and I've been there for three years, but... What I kind of try to do is if I plant, you know, one side of my field one year in the beets and greens and whatever else on the other side, <clears throat> I kind of switch them right. the next Rotate. year. Um, just so it's putting something different back into the ground. Yeah. It's, it's a good idea with that clover every once in a while, too, just turn it under because, yep. I mean, it's a legume. It's putting nitrogen, nitrogen in the soil. But, boy, if you can turn that uh, clover under and then plant something on top of it two, three weeks later, you really get the benefit yeah. of it. Well, the other thing, like you are saying, I mean, if you have a, <clears throat> a farm like I do where you can get away with almost planting anything. Right. You can try different things, and usually— That's fun, too. It is. Um, I only had one bad year. I wanted to plant about a one-acre patch of uh, sunflower seeds, and when I, when I dissed it and went to go put them in the ground, <clears throat> I just had no rain for, like, uh. a month. So— Nothing really made out of it, but, you know, you plant sunflowers a little earlier than you do, like, a fall food plot. So, it was already disked. I just disked it back up again, and and then I went in there, and uh, <clears throat> I just planted it with, like, winter wheat and oats. It was some kind of white sure. tail institute mix, but... Uh, that always worked. It did. That came up very well. <laughs> yeah, those sun sunflowers. I, I used to hunt on a farm down below me on, on the Berberus. It was about 400 acres, real remote, 200-acre bottom in a... People, guy that uh, bought it from the old <coughs> folks I used to hunt on, I hunted on him too. But he planted commercial sunflowers, mm-hmm. and I always thought deer would eat soybeans over anything because he'd uh, alternate the sunflowers and soybeans one year. But uh, he'd always lose wow an acre or two of soybeans in the corners. You know, it just looked like deer mowed them down. But when he planted those sunflowers the first year, it was incredible. He got a bunch of crop damage permits. Yeah, for that year, but they just mowed those sunflowers down. Yeah, they they eat them and they they just eat the heck out of them. <laughs> oh, they do. It's almost like they stand there and wait for them to pop out of the ground. Once they learn yeah. they're there. Yep. Now it, it's interesting. This was a discussion that took place probably twenty years ago, and I learned this the hard way. But when you start planting food plots, you know, the old does may come in and uh, start feeding on those. They're usually the first to find them. First start to. Uh, feeding on new food plots, but like fawns that are with them, they say it takes like a, a year or two for the young of the year to begin to learn to feed on the same thing that mom's feeding on. So it's kind of a learned process. It's not just a natural thing that they pick up, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mention that because <clears throat> the landowner that I bought the farm from three years ago, he never really planted any food plots um, or if he did, it was probably just clover or winter right. wheat. <clears throat> but the deer are already used to the clover because I have a 30-acre hay field. So there's clover naturally in that. Uh-huh. So 
when I put the beets and greens out there the first year, they weren't, I'm like, why are they not digging these up and eating them? And I yep. just didn't, I didn't get it. And I'm like, oh man, what a waste <laughs> of all that, you know, food. Yeah. But even, even it wasn't really a waste, you know, all the nutrients that were in just the turnips and everything, it just went right back in the ground and it kind of keeps it, you know, as they degrade and rot and oh, whatever, sure. it's almost like it's aerating the soil then where those, you know, roots were. And uh, so that's, that was kind of cool. But it, it's funny you just mentioned that because I did notice it in the second year, they just demolished them. Yeah. It, I, it's a learning process for most of us, you know, unless you're in tight with, uh, unless you really pay attention to deer cast, you know, those yeah. guys got all the answers. I write, yeah. write for them, by the way, and you can go on deer cast and answer all your questions. And I'm kind of mm-hmm. envious sometimes, but those guys put in a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of work, a lot of money, you know, in right. what they do. And uh, most people like myself, we're kind of small time deer hunters. Mm-hmm. I, I used to like to hunt the antlers, but in, anymore, I, I'm pretty partial to that tender venison. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can't really beat it. But it, it, you know, I've got a couple of spots on my farm where there's like a trail that leads into a little opening. <clears throat> and I put some stuff in that little opening for the deer to eat, but I think I'm just kind of going to let it go because they'd hang out in that little opening back in the woods instead of coming out uh-huh. through the field into my other plots and stuff because I think they felt more safe back in there. Oh. But then, <clears throat> so I had that little little spot, and then it opens up to where I cut a path, and then on that path, there's about a, if you can imagine a disc, you know, behind a tractor, like, three to four swipes, you know, Uh a row. And that's where I plant my beets and greens. And then right on the other side of that, I have a kind of a buffer zone where there's this, like, it's just real tall, like orchard grass or Johnson grass or something. Uh But uh, so many deer come off that hill and then sit there behind that grass and eat those beets and greens. And then they'll stand in the grass. And it's just because they don't think they can, nothing can see them. <laughs> nothing can see them. Well, I, I had a similar setup. It was all natural uh, vegetation, but like 20, 25 yards off my food plot. Now, this is the south side of my food plot, and the winds usually come from the south or southwest, particularly early in the season. So I had a dandy setup, but I got the hanging tree stands on big black oaks. Mm-hmm. I, I had cut a just a road through there so I could get back in the woods to cut wood and that sort of thing. But I widened it out, and I got for it, uh, back in there just a little bit. But that would hold deer in there for an hour before dark yep. a lot of times. And I can't tell you how many deer I killed right there in that little bitty uh, plot out of a couple of big black oak trees. Some good white oak there, too. Now, another plus was... Those were some of the finest uh, white oak trees that I had on the place. They'd start start dropping acorns early, mm-hmm. right in that winter wheat. Well, that was just a bonus. Killed a lot of deer right yeah. there. Yeah, that's it, cool. And actually, I did most of my bow hunting there. And later in the season, I'd hunt uh, on the food plot. Some during rifle season, I'd hunt on mm-hmm. the food plots. But hey, great way to go. And it isn't it fun to. Hey, have your own place and piddle yeah, with it and it learn is. as you go. And Yeah, I'm still still learning every day, but uh, it, it's been good. But, yeah, I uh, was a little mad. I, I waited too long. I wanted to put some Milo in for the doves mm-hmm. and then let them head out. And then right before, like the week before, I go in and spray them and kill them. But actually the very first year I was there, I planted a lot of Milo. 
And uh, that was a good uh, deer attractant too. Um, oh, and They started they nipping on the now. heads and stuff for those. And, and then not only that, they grow up tall, so it's another good just – transition zone or like barrier where they feel comfortable coming out into an open area hey another little secret too you can plant that uh winter wheat earlier and uh like two weeks before dove season burn that stuff mm-hmm. and you talk about magic uh, these conservation area not far from here used to there was a great guy that ran a food plot program and he was a big dove hunter so he planted a lot of wheat and he'd burn those wheat fields and i had now i'm from the missouri boot hill phenomenal dove hunting down there i grew up with that and uh, doesn't compare up here in the hills and the ozarks except places like that and i had some of the best dove hunts of my life right there on those burn wheat fields so yeah, that's yeah another, you can another uh, bonus you can do that or you know Plant it and then go in and just disc some of it up. and Or if you have, um, like, some fescue that's got, like, the heads are dead, you can just brush hog some of that and they'll oh, yeah, fall seeds on the ground. On the ground. And they'll, they'll, they'll come in and eat it. I noticed right after I brush hogged, like, there was just a bunch on my telephone wire going down to get all that. Oh, yeah. Doves, of course, have weak feet. They're not scratchers. they got to have seeds right on top of their ground, pretty much. If you got a little water source close by, it's even better. Hey, and don't cut those dead snags either on the edge of the field. Oh, they love those. The doves love to come in and lie those in those things. Well, Hunter, I'm sure you and I could sit here and yeah. talk all about, <laughs> log about this sort of thing. But the interesting thing about all this, of course, uh, with living the dream outdoor properties and the very things we're talking about right here you guys sell these kind of properties usually you like to sell the really big beautiful properties mm-hmm. and you guys do a lot of that but even if we're talking about 10 acres out in the ozarks here people can do the very things that you and i've just been talking about and yeah. we consider that part of living the dream oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey folks we're going to take a short break here but don't go away we'll be right back Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Drury Outdoors, and you're listening to Living the Dream Outdoors Podcast with Phil Cooper and Hunter Heineman. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on the beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip, whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else. Chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But Who's All Valley, there's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Drury Outdoors, original team member and cast member of DeerCast. And I'm going over some tips on taking inventory early season, midsummer for whitetails, which is 
what I am actually doing actively right now. Um, I put out the mineral licks throughout the farm. I, I want to just say this. This is the biggest take-home point. The more cameras, the more AI you put out, the better inventory you're going to get. Big, giant whitetails don't move that far. They literally will not move that far. In fact, what I found up here in corn bean country, I'm here in southern Iowa, is a lot of times they'll bed in standing corn within feet of, say, a bean field and come out of the standing corn to feed in the beans. They'll feed in the corn as well, of course, but they just won't tra- – uh, they're, they're lazy. They're, I mean, they're, they're building up uh, their, their uh, antler growth is sapping their body for nutrients, and so they travel less and eat more. So the more cameras you can put out, and here in southern Iowa, we can put out mineral licks. In some states, you cannot. But uh, the, the number of cameras you put out will affect what inventory is. And put them out and leave those cameras out. Don't Intrusion, even in the summer, is something you don't want to do. You don't want to keep going in every night or every week even. Let those cameras put a high high memory card in that camera and let those cameras run for weeks and weeks and get your MRI that way. Uh, middle summer is the best time to take your inventory. So get out there, buy extra cameras. I know it's a little, but uh, I personally use Reconics. I think it's just the best trail camera that, I, you know, and that's what we use for outdoors. A lot of cameras, no matter what brand you buy, and put them out in uh, feed areas in particular. Uh, let them come out to your spot, uh, whether you're using a mineral lick or a feeder, or if it's legal, or if you're just putting it in an area between, say, the woods and the fields, uh, and it's a lot of deer signing, you're hanging cameras in those type of spots, trails, um, things like that. Let them come out. Don't, don't go into timber to the deer. Let the deer come out and feed and get the pictures there. Less intrusion, and you can check your cameras on the right wind without the wind blowing into the feeding or in the, the standing corn, if you're in corn country, uh, where they come out to feed. So less intrusion, a lot of cameras, a good idea of what bucks that you'll be able to hunt for that fall during the middle summer. Hi folks, it's Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation with a little habitat hint here. Uh, No surprise, uh, we are in the middle of a pretty severe drought across most of mid-Missouri. Would encourage folks to take a look at diversifying their grazing systems. Uh, Right now the department's NRCS and other partners do have cost share available for the establishment of native form season grasses for grazing and haying purposes. What a great program. What a wonderful way of diversifying your grazing system and actually having a drought tolerant productive grass in the months of June, July, and August. If you're looking for more information, would encourage you go to go to the Missouri Department of Conservation's website at mdc.mo.gov. And in the upper right-hand corner is 
contacts. Go to your county and find your private land conservationist for your county uh, to set up a meeting to look at ways that you can improve your property, not only for wildlife, but also forage production for your cattle. River Masters Elite Series. Are you good enough? Are you qualified? If you are, our next tournament is at Donovan, Missouri on August the 5th, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can pay your entry fees before August 5th by contacting Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. Are you good enough? Hey everybody, this is Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. Check out my buddy's podcast show, Living the Dream Outdoors with Bill Cooper and Hunter Heineman. You're really going to enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. Hunter Heineman and I had a good time in that first segment. I hope you folks enjoyed it as much as we do. Of course, we like playing in the dirt. It's a good time, <laughs> yeah. especially if it's your own place. That's why we encourage you, man. If you don't have a piece of uh, property, get a hope these guys drool for a while. Look at these beautiful properties. Get on the website. And you know what? Even on DeerCast, uh, every article I write, you'll see at the bottom my name, and there's a connection there. If you just touch on that button, guess where it takes you, Hunter? To my website. To your website, <laughs> Living the Dream that's Outdoor good. Property. Yeah, it's good. I've had a lot of people comment about that. You know, that's, uh, another thing to talk about with that is <clears throat> a lot of people have a, a little bit of a misconception with some of the properties that we handle. And, and again, we specialize in really whatever you're looking for. So, sure. You know. No, I, no I just happened to, yeah. I just happened to favor the beautiful oh, uh, outdoor property. I know it's easy to, but <laughs> because everybody's like, you know, that's that's living the dream. You know, if you can if you can do that, that's awesome. But <clears throat> there's other properties out there that are available and very affordable. And you oh, know, exactly, got, we have good connections around um, this area to be able to get you to a bank that can do financing on land and and get you in on a, a piece, whether it's 10 acres or 40 acres or, you know, an 80-acre chunk. We have a lot of stuff that is pretty affordable, and really <clears throat> my average sale price is usually pretty pretty normal every year, about three to 400000 but um, we have stuff easily that you can go buy for less than three hundred. And, uh, you know, I, I'm closing on one Friday that's a nice 20-acre piece with a barn and wow. electric and a well. And, Making somebody happy, you know. Yeah, it's like a, it, it went for like 135. So, wow. um, <clears throat> you know, you get a barn. Maybe they're going to finish in the barn and make that a man cave or their deer shack or whatever. But uh, then you get the amenity to have a well, and maybe they'll build there in the future, and it'll be a little hunting paradise. But there's stuff out there that's affordable. The oh, there really is. I, I can vouch for everything you said because you, oh, yeah. you guys have helped my wife and I. We had uh, 10 acres and a big home out in the country, and you guys are taking care of that for me. And I'm the age we want to scale down. And you found us a beautiful little place right in the southwest edge of Cuba, Missouri. A mm -hmm. uh, little older home, re redone, but a beautiful little place with an acre. You don't know what that acre meant to me, man, because yeah. <laughs> I don't have anybody any closer to me there in town than I did out in the country, right, you know. Right, right. It's got a garden and a 
beautiful clover. My wife loves clover. So, hey, you guys can do it, whether it's a little place or a big place. And yep. but, but, folks, even if you're looking at a small place, take time to look at those beautiful properties. You might win the lottery. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, call Hunter. I'm yeah. <laughs> well, Hunter, in that first segment, buddy, we were, we were talking about food plots and having a good time. And that just naturally flows into talking about properties and, you know, Hey, man, the land, we're close to it, and it means a lot to us. But in this second segment here, I want to travel off uh, that path just a little bit, ask you a few questions, put you on the spot here, man. Okay. You're quite an outdoorsman. What do you think? The average American outdoorsman, would he prefer to eat a squirrel or a deer? I think in today's world, it's probably a deer. (laughs) But (laughs) I I myself... um, I would probably prefer the deer over the squirrel, but I mean, squirrel done correctly, cooked right, can be just as good. <laughs> Absolutely, I ate a few of them every year. Now that's one temptation I'm facing in town. You know, an old place I could walk out the back door, and I was in some great ter- <laughs> territory. Could kill all the squirrels I want. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in town, and the squirrels are eating out my bird feeder, and I got some big. Black oaks on the back side of the property, just full of squirrels, uh, drive my little dog nuts, you know. <laughs> and I'm in a real dilemma. I haven't checked with the city yet, but I'm trying <laughs> to determine in my own mind whether it's legal to shoot squirrels with a pellet gun inside the city limits. You know? <laughs> I don't know if, uh, even if they said yes, I don't know if uh, Diane would like that so much. <laughs> uh, now, you don't know Diane that well. She's quite a hunter herself. You know, she was an NRA pistol instructor for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, don't ever go shooting with her. I mean, <laughs> sporting clays. I'll fact, shoot you. Yeah. In fact, another funny story. Their little church I go to, there's a lot of outdoorsmen. It's kind of a country cowboy church. And, and we have clay shoots there at the church ever so often, you know. Well, they announced one coming up in the middle of August. And, uh, Diane raises her hand. We got a young, beefy minister there, twelve and outdoorsman, and uh, she raised her hand. He said, "Diane, you got a question?" She said, "Yeah, can a girl shoot too?" He, he kind of stuttered <laughs> because it's been an all guys deal, you know. He kind of stuttered. Well, yeah, I'm sure you can. I'm shaking my head. One of the guys said, "Bill's shaking his head." No, <laughs> he said, "You don't want her to shoot." I said, "No, she'll beat us all." <laughs> and that's kind of where it goes. But hey, back to this question about the squirrel and the deer. There's a lot of uh, talk going on right now, and a lot of promoted by the National Deer Association, which is, by the way, a grand organization. I've worked with them in, in uh, as a volunteer and mentoring people before, but they've. Uh, kind of put out a news release and they're saying that if you're starting new hunters we've always started hunters coming into the fold on what what's been the history oh probably like small game small game maybe dove hunting yep uh i guess if you know they're fortunate enough maybe duck hunting or Yep. Squirrel, rabbit, probably squirrel, rabbit. Squirrel, the rabbit ones. have always been at the top, but now they're they're claiming, uh, you know, we're all concerned about the declining numbers of hunters across the country. Missouri, by the way, is one of two states that's still actually gaining hunters. Most states are still losing, uh, and that's, you know, a big economic problem for lots of states because most states depend on license for, for the revenue for the state game department. Fortunately, here in Missouri, we've got the one-eighth of one percent sales tax that everybody pays right. goes to our conservation department. But uh, recruitment of hunters has been a big push in the last 10 or 15, not 
people by the name of hunter or guys <laughs> packing guns you know hunters uh, <laughs> but but uh, it's recruitment uh retainment and reactivating it's older folks so been a lot of big push for that so everybody's trying to come up with new ways to get uh, new hunters into the fold but national deer association now is really pushing to start new adult hunters on deer rather than squirrels now let's think about this and work our way through it why would they do that i don't know maybe because uh maybe because you might have to be a little bit more patient and and then actually if you end up harvesting a bigger game animal it's it's more rewarding and then that younger individual has that want and desire to keep doing it again whereas like Maybe you go out in the woods and you shoot a squirrel or two. It's like, oh, okay, well, that was fun. but which I've I haven't got, I have, got much to show for it. <laughs> yeah, I have a blast going out in the woods and going to take a little hike and bringing a shotgun or a twenty two and plinking at those things. I'll do it all day long. To me, that's just as fun. But um, I, I, that would be my answer to that question. That's the only thing I could think of. Pretty close, pretty close. Uh, in, in fact, you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about uh, the deer being a, a larger animal. A lot of the new hunters, adults, that are coming into the hunting sports are coming not because they're into the sport of hunting so much, but they're wanting to gather their own food. Oh, okay. And, and that's where a lot of the new hunters are coming from. And so it, it stands to reason that if... Uh, they're going to go out there and they're going to spend the money, buy a tag. They're going to have to buy a weapon and ammunition, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to spend, you know, right. X number of hours or days out there. They're wanting more return for their buck, that so to speak. Sense. Well, yeah. I mean, so my my uh, girlfriend shot a doe last year, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> we processed it at home, and I butchered it and did everything, and we made some steaks out of the back legs, and just kind of did what we wanted with it. Self-sufficiency. Yeah, saved the back straps, and I think the tenderloins that were gone that night. But Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> I tell you what, uh, with as much as, you know, everything's just going up anymore, um, stuff in the grocery store, it kind of makes sense um, that you would do that because we, uh, we stopped buying stuff from the grocery store, and luckily she likes deer meat, so... Uh, we've just been having deer roast and deer steaks and backstrap and burger and summer sausage and I mean it's as healthy as can be for you too. So it, it, total it sense. really is. Man, you blew my whole program here. You Uh-oh. covered it all. Whoops. <laughs> I wasn't meaning to. <laughs> oh, no, great, great job. Uh, right on target with what the uh, National Deer Association is, is saying and is promoting. And, hey, I think we're going to see more and more of this in the future. And I would suspect that uh, as this program gains momentum and uh, they're getting organizations to – to operate like this and because uh, there's a lot of organizations out there that sponsor hunts you know and a lot of them do use small game or duck hunts or dove hunts and, and that sort of thing uh we're probably gonna see more and more of them going to deer and another thing is deer we got more deer in the united states now mm-hmm. than ever now the population is down a little bit in some areas but we still got millions of deer so they're very accessible to most people you know, particularly here in Missouri, 
I, regardless where you live, I mean, if it's legal, you could kill them in the suburbs of St. Louis. Yeah. And there are some archery programs yeah. in, in the cities now that, that take place. So deer are really pretty accessible to people. And we're talking about, you know, the protein, the value, and how many hundreds of, wow, 100,000 pounds of meat are donated to our deer program every year through the Conservation Federation of Missouri. Mm-hmm. There are still a lot of hunters that go out and, hey, maybe they kill two or three deer and they don't really need them all. Well, the other thing, too, there's certain counties that, as a landowner, they can knock out 10-plus does yeah. you know, between a group of guys during certain seasons or whatever their rules and regulations are, maybe even 20. Yeah. They're not going to eat all that. So, I mean, it is a big benefit. Now, I, I, I know groups that do. They'll get six, eight, ten guys together, and they kill a bunch of deer, and, and uh, they've uh, put their money together. You don't know, have big coolers and all that stuff. Now, those guys can process a lot of deer meat in a hurry, mm-hmm. and then they divide them among their families, and, boy, they're good to go. But, you know, we also have some special deer hunts. There's over 100 special deer hunts in the state of Missouri you can apply for in end of July. If you haven't applied, you better get applied I, I applied for a hunt up in Callaway County. I think I can kill three does up there. Oh, cool. Yeah, and there'll only be, like, if I get drawn, and I should, I haven't got drawn in the last two years. Is so. that for rifle season? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep, sure is. And then is that like on public ground or what? Yeah, uh, this is a public conservation area, but some of the coolest hunt are in Missouri State Parks. They get over overpopulated. Mm-hmm. Diane and I were up at Pershing State Park four or five years ago. We could kill three deer apiece and we got up there and she just had a slight surgery and and i'd got out and scouted the day before and i found a crossing on a creek wow that crossing was 20 foot wide it looked like a cattle crossing mm-hmm. and so i set her up a white bucket set on she didn't have to work, walk 100 yards from the truck we got there real early the next morning walked in there some dude sitting on her white bucket oh no yeah so she had to walk in a little further at the uh, Shortly after daylight, I, I killed the biggest deer of my life. It was a whopping big doe. I couldn't drag it. Oh. And so I did gut it and then took off with it. And every 30 yards, we were down on a flat off the hills next to a creek bank. And there was a little ditch. I'd roll that deer off in it and back up. Well, I just gave myself out. So I went and I was walking towards her. I was going to go to town and get a little plastic sled to put it on. And she texted me. She said, there's 15 deer coming your way. <laughs> and I heard them coming. They stopped in front of one of the biggest bucks I ever saw in my life. <clears throat> Only buck in the group, like 12 does. And of course, couldn't shoot a buck. Uh. <laughs> I was a little ill over that one. Well, they got to the creek, and I guess somebody shot at them. They turned around and come back, and they headed back. She said, they're coming back by me. And a couple of minutes later, we heard horns on the interstate, <laughs> not too far away. <laughs> they were all crossing the highway. Yep, yep. But, man, so much, so much opportunity here in our, our state of Missouri. But you know what? Another reason to have one of those living the dream properties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one, one way that I think um, – as long as maybe that hunter has a very um, experienced hunter with them, if they're a younger person, take them to do any type of wing shooting. Because I think in, in all of the hunting that I do, <clears throat> my, some of my favorite hunting is just wing shooting and shooting with an over and under shotgun or side-by-side shotgun. And for me, it's duck. 
but I swear, two of my favorite times of the year is duck and dove. Absolutely. But if you can get a young guy going on that. Well, it just helps your reflexes so much. Did you ever kill a deer so close you couldn't use your scope? Um, I have, I have not yet other than like using a bow. I have not had that happen with a rifle. Oh, I have. I had them so close. You know, you just, if you look, look at the scope, all you're going to see is brown right. hair and you don't know which end you're looking at. So I shoot right down the barrel. I've killed several like that. And I had a nephew one time that, uh, he was like 12 years old. He was quite a little outdoorsman. He first came hunting me when he was 10 years old and I had, uh, watched a little buck all, all season long and, it would come down off of a flat and hang in the wood a little bit and then go out to a 200-acre soybean field. Well, I built little Timmy a stand, took him down there. He was 10 years old, put him on the stand all by himself, and I only went about 100 yards away. I could see him with my binoculars, and uh, <clears throat> I could see him in the stand. I, the, the buck sh- showed up, and I heard Timmy shoot. Had a little 30-30, and about 36 second later he shot again oh he's missed that buck and we were camped in an old barn about 300 yards from where we were hunting mm-hmm. and i had a little s10 pickup and i heard my pickup start it drives up the edge of the field to where it was right out in front of timmy's stand then i heard it start up again and went back to the barn I, what is going on so i went down there timmy 10 years old had got my truck Drove up there, got his buck. He he couldn't get it up on the tailgate, so he ties the rope around the the hitch. Drag it. Uh, and drug it, but he didn't tie it around his antlers and drag it on the gravel with the fur. He drove it by the back legs and drug it <laughs> against the hide, so he had all kinds of dirt and gravel ground down there. <laughs> we had to brush this deer <laughs> to get all the dirt and gravel out of the hide. But he made a perfect shot right behind the shoulder, double lung. I said, well, you shot twice. You missed him first time. Oh, no, I hit him right in the same hole the second shot, <laughs> a running deer. There you go. <laughs> you know, another one that I've gotten into that's fun, <clears throat> is really fun, um, is coyote hunting. Um, that's a fun thing to do. And oh boy, you got to be on your toes for that. They're yeah. pretty sharp critters. Yeah, they are, but it's a it's a fun thing to do if you can find a right area that they're overpopulated. You can even go in a lot of places and ask guys that have farm permission. Can I can I coyote hunt your farm? Very politely, you know, right. in the right way. And uh, you know, if they decline, you just go on to the next sure. one. But I've, I've been with my friends and, you know, up north and, and big ag ground or big uh, where there's a lot of cattle or whatever, and they just they don't want them. So. But it's a pretty exciting thing to call one of them up, and they come running in. That's a, that's a cool thing to do, too, and, and they even have, like, the night season now, too. So uh, that's a cool deal. You stay out all night and shoot coyotes. <laughs> um, that's a fun one. So um, there's a lot of different stuff you can do. I mean – just there really is. We're again. We're so fortunate here in the state of Missouri. But the thing is, Hunter, you and I. I mean, we're outdoorsmen. We love the land. And hey, that good old statement you guys say all the time: it's not just land. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, it's true. It really and you're is. living. We really are living our dreams, folks. We encourage you guys to get out, enjoy all these things. Hey, take in deer season this year. Go along with somebody on oh, Hunter. I hate to rub it in, but I just showed you some photographs of. Some Kentucky bucks. Yeah, those yeah. were nice. I'm jealous. Yeah. Anything like that on the hoods, all? Well, there is, but 
uh, I found a about 135 inch deer tied up with another deer last year oh. on my, in my backfield, and I had them both on camera. I got That's them. Pretty I awesome. had my taxidermist get extra capes and got a salvage tag and for both of them, and I I went ahead and did a fighting mount. It's really cool. Really, yeah. that is cool. But no, I'm jealous on those. Those are all 150 inch plus deer. Maybe pushing 180. <laughs> yeah, that's on about 3,500 acres, a lot of soybeans. This guy grows big deer and big turkeys, and so I got an invite. What's the, uh, what's the, the, so you said that there's a, a cup reactivation too, instead of just taking out younger, younger populations. Yeah, uh, when it comes to reactivation uh, part, it's uh, of this three R's program, it, it's, trying to bring people back into hunting who dropped out for some reason or other. And, you know, the biggest problem problem is usually access, people trying to gain access to properties, and they get discouraged, and they don't have a place to hunt. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of special programs going on out there anymore. And even uh, Missouri has a fairly new program last few years where landowners are signing up uh, with MDC to allow people to hunt on their properties. But it's pretty con- situation but yeah reactivation uh it's uh it's kind of uh gosh bow hunters for example right usually drop out about age 49 because of shoulder problems uh wrist problems elbow problems and uh of course we've finally legalized crossbows and that's helping with that situation some but a lot of agencies mdc Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, on and on and on. All of these kind of single species conservation organizations have programs going where they're trying to uh, uh, get new hunters in, bring other folks back in. I think it's great. A lot of of great things going on. Hey, man, uh, I got a fishing pond i need to get to so i thought <laughs> i think we need to need to wrap it up but go man, get some bluegill hey what great fun but once again we encourage you folks to get outdoors and enjoy your outdoor dreams Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573 573- 263-8016. Again, that's 573-263-8016. Be sure and shoot straight. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On The Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. 
Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm, we live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.